You're listening to an audio sermon from Sovereign Grace Church Toronto. For more information, visit sovgracesto.org. We do want to look together at God's word this afternoon. I'm not going to say this morning. This afternoon. Okay, I got it. All right, good. From James chapter 5. So I'll encourage you to please look with me at James chapter 5. And I'm going to read for us from verse 13 down to verse 20. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Hear what Holy Scripture says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. If I were doing an honest assessment of these verses, I would point out to you that especially in verses 13 to 18, Every single verse mentions prayer. The emphasis of the text is on prayer. The theme of the text is prayer. But I'm not going to spend the majority of our time today talking about prayer. I'm just getting that out there first and foremost. And the reason for that is this. As Josh said, this is a sermon that I first preached to our people. And in our context, I preached first on confess your sins to one another. And then in this coming week, I'm going to be preaching on the prayer dynamic of this text. But you guys have an in-house prayer expert already, so I'll let Tim fill in the content on prayer as he is able in coming weeks. But for now, I want to focus our time in verse 16... Where James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. So as we get set to do that, I'll ask you to please pray with me. Father God, we confess. It is a lot easier to confess the sins of others than to confess our own sins. And because our view of you is so small and our view of other people is so big, it's often more difficult to confess our sins to other people than it is to a holy God. We need grace. We do not want to be hearers of the word only. We want to be doers of the word. And so we pray. Work in our hearts. Give us sufficient humility to hear the word today and to become doers of the word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been having a number of health issues lately. Um, 
Nothing major, just annoying, a lot of annoying things. And one of them that was really driving me nuts, um, along with you know fatigue and anxiety and these types of things, was just these muscle twitches I've been getting. And it's just like these ongoing little muscle spasms, and I can't stop them, and there's nothing that I could do. And so I did what you know most 21st century people do. Instead of going to a doctor like a smart person would do, I just decided to ask Dr. Google. Um, Google is a terrible replacement for a doctor. Don't ever do that. But that's what I did. So I went on Google and I started reading about my symptoms. And, you know, the first thing you always find is, oh, it's cancer and you're going to die. Um, but then after that, once you sort of sort through, okay, maybe it's not that, uh, I found that it might just be magnesium deficiency. That sounds a little bit better, right? I kept reading, according to Stats Canada, 34% or more of Canadians age 19 plus have magnesium deficiency. So it seems, hey, it's pretty common. A lot of us here probably have magnesium deficiency. And so I thought, well, what does that look like? And so you go on these health websites and they never have any agenda. They are always totally unbiased and um, very scientific. Very sci- They're not ad run or anything. Um, okay, of course they are. I'm being sarcastic. But this website in particular seemed helpful to me. It said this about those who have magnesium deficiency. I wrote this down because it's a long list. This is what it might look like. Fatigue. Yep, got that. Aches and pains. Yep, I'm not getting old. It's magnesium deficiency. Uh, Mood problems, definitely the magnesium deficiency. Uh, Muscle cramps, migraines, irregular sleep patterns, insomnia, heart irregularities, muscle twitches and spasms, anxiety, digestive trouble, lack of appetite, brain fog, memory problems, depression, ADHD, And on and on the list goes, depending on which website you are looking at. So apparently all my problems, not just the muscle twitches, come back to magnesium deficiency. So you know what? Being an idiot, I decided, I'm going to give this a shot. So I went to the store, actually Stacy went to the store for me, and bought some magnesium supplements. And so I started taking the magnesium supplements. And lo and behold, as long as I'm taking them, I have found my muscle twitches have actually stopped. Things have started getting better. I have experienced health benefits from it. And then this weird thing started happening as well. As I was taking the magnesium, I found I've had for years, I have just always been cold. As long as I can remember in my life, I've just been cold. And all of a sudden now I'm like hot. My body temperature is running hot and someone suggested it's menopause it's not I promise Um, it's got to be the magnesium so it's, it's this strange all of a sudden I'm experiencing these this broad range of things from simply adding magnesium into my diet why in the world am I talking about my bizarre health experiments with my own body it's it's because it's because of this I'm convinced that Christians as a whole, more than 34% of us suffer not just from magnesium deficiency, but from confession deficiency. In, In other words, in our spiritual diets, there is insufficient confession of sins to one another. And just like magnesium deficiency, which comes with a wide range of symptoms and problems, things that may be related, may not be related, but it's hard to trace back to one source, I would suggest this, that as we begin to introduce confession of sins back into our spiritual diet, we will experience a broad range of health benefits. Things will begin to get better where we didn't even know that they were bad. So if you are not confessing your sins, what might it look like? It might, or what might it result in? It might result in a broad range of symptoms. According to this text in James 5 that we're looking at, it may, it may lead to physical sickness. I think as you look at the broader teaching of scripture, and we're going to look at some of that in our time together today, what you will find is that it will also result in a lack of joy. A lack of softness of heart, tenderness towards the gospel, towards others. It might result in a withdrawal within myself, a withdrawal, a pulling back in relationships because things that are unconfessed, I want to keep them hidden. And so I pull back within myself. It might result in a coldness and a hardness of heart, both towards others and towards God. But confession of sin, when introduced into our spiritual diet, will stir us, will warm us, will soften us to the things of God. Again, I don't want you to take 
my word for it. I want to argue that from the text this morning, or this afternoon. I did it, Josh. Uh, This afternoon, I want to argue, first of all, the confession of sin is for all believers. So we look at our text. Confession of sin is for all believers. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. The word therefore begins the command, which means we should look back at what just came before. And right before our verse, it says this, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. There was a willingness on the part of God. There was a willingness on the part of the Lord, an eagerness on the part of the Lord to forgive those who confess. Therefore, confess your sins to one another that you may be Healed. Now, confession is more than admitting something to God that he didn't know, right? Sometimes when we confess our sins, we're, we're talking, we, think, we think of confession in, in the case of just simply saying something that the other person didn't know. When we confess our sins to God, what we're doing is we're actually agreeing with him. He has seen it already. All things are exposed to him. He knows all things, and confessing is simply agreeing. Yes, the sin is there. Yes, it's as bad as you say it is. Yes, it means I deserve the punishment that you say I deserve. Confessing our sins to one another is an acknowledgement that what God has declared about us as sinners, as rebels, is true. We're confessing, we're agreeing with God's assessment of ourselves and we're doing it in the presence of others. Now, as I was preparing to preach on this passage and think specifically about confessing our sins, a question that came up in a few conversations was, oh, how many times does the New Testament actually talk about that? And the short answer is once. It's, it's just here. In terms of a, an explicit command for believers to confess their sins to one another. Now, you could draw some wrong conclusions from that. You could say, well, therefore, it must not be very important because it's only commanded once. But so that you don't think that, I want to take a few minutes and walk through the scriptures and show you that what James is commanding us Here is actually something that's expected, something that's modeled, something that's taught and patterned throughout all of the scriptures. So I want you to come all the way back with me to Leviticus chapter 5. In Leviticus chapter 5, we're here in the old covenant worship. So as the people come to what was then the tabernacle and then would eventually be the temple, as they come to bring their sacrifices for sin, it's important you understand the bigger picture of what's going on. So in Leviticus 5, Uh, Moses is writing and he's talking about what happens when you recognize your sins. He's describing a number of sins. In verse 2, if he sins and it's hidden from him and he has become unclean and he realizes his guilt or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean, ask no more questions, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt... Or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath, the people swear, and it's hidden from him when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these. Here's the repetition. When he realizes his guilt in any of these, what does he do? And confesses the sin that he has committed. He shall bring to the Lord, to Yahweh, as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. So you get, you get the picture? He goes before the priest in the temple into the court And he confesses his sin. It is a public declaration of what it is that he's done. It is a part of an act of repentance. He brings a sacrifice. He transfers his guilt onto the sacrifice. The sacrifice is put to death. There is death in his place so that he may be forgiven. So there's public confession that's part of repentance that leads to forgiveness, reconciliation with God. Now that pattern is consistent throughout the Old Testament. It goes all the way up as we approach the New Testament. So as you come up to the time of John the Baptist in Matthew, rather, yeah, in Matthew chapter three, we find this again. In the days of, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. What were they doing? Confessing their sins. Verse 11. John would say this. He would explain the baptism this way. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So again, do you see the pattern? It is a public acknowledgement of sin that's a step in the direction of repentance that will result in forgiveness of sins. There's the pattern. And this continues into Jesus' ministry as well. So you remember Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19? A wonderful story of Zacchaeus. I I remember as a kid learning about Zacchaeus. And not just because of the song. It's a wonderful story. He's a wee little man who overcompensates by making himself a big man. He needs to be rich and oppress a bunch of people. And so he oppresses the poor. But then he is humbled when he hears about Jesus and hears the good news. And so Zacchaeus invites Jesus into his house. He hears the good news in Luke chapter 19 and verse 8. After Jesus has been teaching, Zacchaeus stands... And said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, which he had, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So there is public confession of sin that's a step in the direction of repentance that results in the forgiveness of sins. Salvation has come to this house. It's the same thing when the gospel is preached. So in Acts chapter 19, we see this same pattern hold true again as Paul is preaching the gospel in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19 and verse 17. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Fear fell upon them all and the name of the Lord was extolled Also, many of those who were now believers came. What are they doing? As they come out into the public square, what are they doing? They're confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. This is an incredible amount of money. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. In other words, salvation has come to this town. So there is public confession of sins that leads to repentance. Let's burn all the books and salvation comes as a result. You see the pattern? Believers publicly confess, repent of their sins, and receive forgiveness. So we come to James 5:16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What James is doing, though it's a single one-off commandment, is codifying, he's commanding something that the believers already had been doing instinctively as an act of worship. And just to show you that it doesn't just end with the New Testament church, I want to quote from church history a couple passages here from uh, some some writings called the Didache, which is a a word that just means teaching. And, And it's not scripture. It looks like scripture sometimes, the way it's written and the way it's quoted. It's not scripture. It's just evidence of what the early church after the New Testament was believing and what they were practicing and what they were teaching. And this is what the early church writes. In the Didache, in their chapter 4, verse 19, says, is this in church thou shalt confess thy transgressions and shalt not betake thyself to prayer with an evil conscience this is the way of life you catch the important step that's just been made there you ever, you ever see someone get saved They become a believer. They trust in the gospel for the first time. 
And they're just so full of joy and they're full of life. It's amazing. They've got nothing to hide. They know that they're a wretch. And so they come and they're like, man, my life is a mess. But look at this. Jesus has saved me. And so they're open with their confession of sin and they're transparent and they're honest in their evaluation of themselves. And it results in joy and love. And it's it's like bubbling up and over and out of them. And we rejoice in that. But then sometimes as we go on in the Christian life, you know what the joy begins to shrink and our hearts aren't quite so soft and the gospel doesn't seem quite so special, quite so exciting. Do you know why I think that is? I think that's because we've lost sight of what the Didache is teaching, instructing Christians to do. I think it's because we've lost sight of what James himself is commanding in James chapter 5, that as we stop confessing sins, we stop believing, we stop putting our trust in the gospel over and over, and so the repentance isn't as continual, and so the gospel isn't as joy-giving, isn't as life-giving, and so our hearts just become dull and hard, and we begin to hide rather than confess our sins. In the Didache, in in chapter 14, they go on, they say again, On the Lord's own day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanks. First, confessing your transgressions, that your sacrifice may be pure. And let no man, having his dispute with his fellow, join your assembly until they've been reconciled, that your sacrifice may not be defiled, for this sacrifice is what was spoken of by the Lord. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus taught this to those who were at that point worshiping according to the old covenant. They would bring their sacrifice to the altar. And Jesus says, as important as it is, because it's commanded by God to bring your sacrifice, as important as that is, if you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your sacrifice. Go confess your sin. Be reconciled to your brother first and then come back and worship. This is the sacrifice of worship that Jesus wants, one that begins with confession and reconciliation. In your gathering, in your church service, when you are singing and you're rejoicing in the gospel, as you are being led by your pastors and others in prayer, are you joining with them in the confession of your sins. Is confessions of sins simply relegated to something that you do when you become a Christian or is it something that is part of your regular worship as you gather that you are confessing your sins? Are you making it a part of your spiritual diet? As you prepare to come to church on a Sunday as the early Christians did in the writings of the Didache, are you asking yourself, wait, before I bring my sacrifice of praise to God on Sunday as I come, am I confessing my sins, my offenses to other believers, and am I being reconciled to them first? See, we can confess sins corporately in our worship service, in our songs, in our prayers, but at best, this is merely a supplement It won't be enough. It won't be the whole of what you need in your diet. Here's how I know that. When we confess our sins corporately, and we do this at our own church as well, when we confess our sins corporately, there are only so many sins that we can confess. There is only, we can only be so specific before it becomes inappropriate. But there are specific sins that you have committed that must be confessed where are you doing that in your life as you come to church week by week as you come to church this week who knows who have you told about those words that escaped your lips this week the gossip slander the lies who who knows about the selfish ambition that exists in your heart who knows about the ways that you fudged numbers the ways that you just kind of cheated a little bit at work this week to get yourself ahead who knows about your rivalries and your dissension and your jealousy 
Who have you told about these things? Who are you confessing these things to? Who knows where you are prone to wander? Confession of sin is for all believers because it is a part of repentance, continual, ongoing repentance. It's for all believers. But where do we do that? So the the next thing I want to argue is that yes, it's for all believers, but it has to happen in a specific place. Where do you get it? So I want to say this, confession of sins is for all believers in a local church. So if you're trying to supplement your diet, you say, where do I get more of this magnesium or whatever? You can get it in supplements, but you also need to engage it. You need to eat it in more foods, more of your diet. Where do you get confession of sins? The answer is in a local church. How do we know that? Well, here in James chapter 5, James has specifically said that you are, when you are sick, you're to call for the elders of the church. Now, the way he words that grammatically, Josh was making fun of me for being a geek earlier. I am a geek. Uh, the way that he words this grammatically, I find this stuff lovely. It's specific to point out that there are elders, plurality, who exist in this particular definite local church. What he's addressing is he's talking about the context of the local church, but he doesn't stick with the elders. He moves on from the elders who come and pray and anoint you with oil when you're sick to now confessing your sin, not just to elders, but to the priesthood of all believers to other members of your local church so that the local church should be to us and this is hard some of you have been burned by this and even as I say this you're going to be tempted to scoff in your hearts the local church should be to us the safest place in the world to talk about our sins. It should be. In our church, we have a membership covenant. I know you have similar commitments that you make to the church and that the church makes to you. And in our membership covenant, we include this. I promise to avoid all backbiting and gossiping and unrighteous anger. Which means that as I confess my sins to a brother or sister in my local church, they have already promised me they will not become unrighteously angry at me and they will not gossip about me and my sin. I've received that promise even before I confess. Do you have that here? We encourage this we or rather we say this in our membership covenant says i further engage to watch over you my brothers and sisters in brotherly love to remember you in prayer to aid you in sickness and distress to cultivate christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech to be slow to take offense but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the commandments of our savior to secure it without delay So that I know as I go and as I confess my sins, my shortcomings, my failure to a brother or sister in my local church, I know that they are going to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech. I know that they're going to be slow to take offense and that even where I do offend them with my confession of sin, they're going to be ready for reconciliation and they're going to want to secure that quickly with me. Do you have that? In your local church, as you are committed to the brothers and sisters here, do you operate with an understanding that as you confess your sins, your brothers and sisters are likewise committed to you, to your good? I say, well, what, if, what about if my sin's really bad? Like, like really bad? Well, again, in our membership covenant we include this line if I am overtaken in any fault I will be subject to biblical discipline which seeks my restoration and I know you make a similar commitment here 
if my sin is outward, if it is demonstrable, if it is egregious, if it is continued, if it is unrepentant, then I know, I know I will be subject to discipline, but don't, don't miss the point. It is for our restoration. Even the discipline is for our good. The local church should be the safest place in all the world for us to confess our sins. So, well then, does that mean I just confess my sin to anybody? Who, who, to whom should I confess my sin? Any, any old person in my church? Well, no, I would say to appropriate members in your local church. There can be, for any number of reasons, certain people that it would be inappropriate to confess certain types of sins to. So my children, I have, as Josh said, I have four daughters, and they range in age from 13 down to five. And my five-year-old is the tiniest five-year-old you've probably ever seen in your life. She got on the scale the other day. Uh, she was so excited. She looked down, and she was 32.7 pounds. That's like not even 10 pounds a year she's managed to amass. She has done nothing with her life. I don't know. Uh, she, she weighs 32.7 pounds. She is, if it, the doctor said if you lined up 100 kids her age, she would be the third smallest. She is so small. And so it's, it's not uncommon when I watch my kids walk home from school to see one of the older ones carrying at least two backpacks because they're carrying you know their own backpack and her backpack. It would be entirely inappropriate for my 13-year-old. I think her backpack weighs more than 32.7 pounds. If she were to take that and just throw it on the five-year-old, that, she wouldn't make it home that day. She would be laying on the ground underneath it. It would be entirely inappropriate. It is appropriate for the smaller one to put her burden on the bigger one, the stronger one, but not the other way around. And the reality is that as you confess your sins, what you're asking someone to do is help bear your burden. And so what you need to do is go to one who is able with you to bear that burden, to bear that weight You need to go to those who will take you to where you need to go. Go to those who will be able to find you the help that you need. When I was a teenager, um, I was an idiot. And so we, we were out at Canada's Wonderland. I remember this one time. It was a great day. It was like so hot. You know the days that you're, you're really happy to be at Wonderland? It's like, it's so hot. Um, but again, I was a teenager, so I didn't have a hat. I didn't bring any water. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to be good. And so we spent the entire day, it was me and my uncle, and we're just running around, um, just going from roller coaster to roller coaster. We didn't stop to eat or drink or any of those types of things. And we're waiting in line after line in the sun. And so eventually, we're waiting in line for this one roller coaster. And we've been waiting for a while. So we get you know kind of up close to the front. And as we're getting closer and closer to the front, um, something really weird started happening. I, like everything just kind of, it was like someone just turned down the volume. And I couldn't hear anything anymore. So kind of, I see in everything, you know, people talking and I can't hear anything. But I also couldn't talk. So I thought, oh, this is weird. What should I do? So I just did nothing. So I'm just standing there. <laughs> And then uh, I waited another couple of minutes, and from the outside of my eyes, everything started to go dark. But it was real slow, so I was kind of just watching. Oh, what's this going? You know, what's going to happen? And so it's getting darker and darker from the outside all the way. And I thought, I'm dying. That's it. <laughs> um, so I was like, Jesus, here I come. It was, it was, it was going to be great. And then um, all of a sudden, I just, I just remember like boom, 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 and it was like the, you know, you're in the line and there's the metal bars. It was like my head hitting metal bar, metal bar, metal bar and ground. I was, I was down and I was, I was out. I was fully passed out. And so I don't know how long I was down for, but when I, by the time I began to come to, my uncle was like holding me up. He was kind of propping me up. And I remember my, opening my eyes and it was a bright day. So I thought he was my guardian angel. So I'm just my weird, um, half conscious state of mind. Oh, you know, this is great. And um, he was he was holding me and he was kind of smacking me and saying he's fine he's fine because I realized what was happening was everyone was looking the ride had stopped and everyone was was looking and and he was trying to say he's fine he's fine because we by this point were only three back from the thing and we'd been waiting a long time in line and he did not want to give up his spot um, so he was trying to hold me up he thought that's what I needed that was not what I needed at that point they knew that so they, they everybody hated me they stopped the ride called the paramedics they brought the paramedics across to the stretcher and everything anyway despite causing everyone else an inconvenience what I needed in that moment was not someone to pretend that I was okay but someone to get me the help that I needed 
get me to where I needed to go. I needed to go, apparently they, I found this out, they have a medical center with doctors at Canada's Wonderland and they will take very good care of you. They were the ones that I needed because they could get me to the one who could help me get better. What is the help that we need in James chapter five as we confess our sins? Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Go to God. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Go to God with that. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders and let them pray over him. Let the elders anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Take him to God. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. It's God who's going to raise him. If he's committed any sins, he'll be forgiven. Not by some mysterious force, but by God. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed by God. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. What does it mean as it's working, as the prayer is working, as God is working through the prayer? Elijah was a man with a nature like us. See, the power is not in him. It was the power of God. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Who did that? That was God. When we confess our sins, what do we need? We need someone to come alongside us and listen to us and ask us questions about our sin and to draw out our hearts and then to weep with us over the wickedness and the evil of the sin. We need someone to take our hand and say, come with me and go to the cross and show us the cross again and say, look at what your sin did. But look at what Jesus did about your sin. The price is paid. On the cross, he said, it's finished. And then we need that person to take us by the hand and walk us from the cross to the empty tomb and say, look, Jesus isn't here. He's raised. He has power over sin and death and hell. And he's got power to help you. Now let's walk from the empty tomb along the path of Jesus. What are the steps of repentance? What does it look like to follow Jesus now? We need someone to walk with us, to take us to the cross, to the empty tomb and to the path of Jesus, to discipleship. What does it look like? Now to walk in repentance. That's what we need. So what should confession of sin look like in a local church? Well, if you're the one confessing, it should look like full confession. It has to be full confession that you may be healed. If you go to the doctor, all the commentators talk about this um, confession of sin and praying for one another that you may be healed as if it's, it's the form of preventative medicine that James is offering here. If you're going to the doctor and you're trying to receive a diagnosis, someone to help you, you have to give him all the information. Likewise, as you confess, your brother or sister is only going to be able to help you so much as you share with them. It should be full confession for healing and it should be full confession with repentance. Sometimes what we do as Christians is we think, I'll just say my sin and then that's enough. And we don't think about what actual steps of repentance look like. But when Zacchaeus confessed his sin, He gave his stuff away. When the people in Ephesus confessed their sorcery and their witchcraft, they burned the books. Confession is only one of the steps. It's a step leading towards repentance that results in restoration. Confession is not an end in and of itself. It's a step along the way. So it should be full confession that we may be healed. It should be full confession that leads to repentance. And it should be full confession That includes follow-up from the one who's being confessed to. You see how weighty this is? Look at verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, so if if someone hears this word today and thinks, I need to respond to the word and I need to confess, and they come to you and they confess their sins, realize how important your role is as the one who is confessed to. If someone wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, you bring him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is why it has to happen in a local church because there must be follow-up. There must be that step of saying, now let's walk this out together along the path of discipleship for as long as God grants us grace to do this together. 
That sounds serious, right? It's weighty. There are scary implications of all of this, which is why I wanted to end on this note. Confession of sin, yes, it's for all believers, and yes, it takes place in a local church, but why does it happen? It happens for this, for the church to grow in love. Confession of our sin stirs us to love, to love God first. I take every opportunity I can to quote Augustine, uh, the fifth century writer and preacher. He writes this in his book called Confessions. He's uh, trying to wish why. Why would he take the time to write out the story of his life in a prayer to God and confess all the ways that he falls short, all the ways that he's messed up? Why would he take the time to do that? He says this. I do this, my God, not because I love those sins, but so that I may love you. For love of your love, I shall retrace my wicked ways. The memory is bitter, but it will help me to savor your sweetness. The sweetness that does not deceive, but brings real joy and never fails. He goes on, O Lord, the depths of a man's conscience lie bare before your eyes. Could anything of mine remain hidden from you, even if I refused to confess it? I should only be shielding my eyes from seeing you, not hiding myself from you. But now that I have the evidence of my own misery to prove to me how displeasing I am to myself, you are my light and my joy. Taking the time to confess your sins and have someone draw you out helps us to realize how displeasing we actually are to ourselves so that we can stop looking for satisfaction and joy and fulfillment in ourselves and find it in the sweetness that is our God. Have you not known this experience? The, the pressure, the burden, the weight of trying to be enough, of trying to be satisfied in who you are and, and how you dress and how you perform and how you work and how you look and the image that you put forward to other people and the ways that you keep God's law and the ways that you perform Christianity and the ways that you do all these things and put yourself together and it pr- puts this weight on you, this burden on you that eventually... Is crushing until you confess your sins and you go back to the cross and you speak out loud, God, I am insufficient, I am broken, I am entirely displeasing, I am not enough. And in our confession in that moment, what we find is that Jesus is enough. And that though we are not good and we are not glorious, he is. And he knew, he knew our shame and our sin and our guilt and our burden. But that's exactly what he bore on the cross. So that confessing sins creates this glorious, unburdening experience. For the first time in conversion, we put our trust in Jesus for the first time and receive forgiveness of sins. But then as Martin Luther said, The Christian life is one of continual, ongoing repentance. As we go back again and again and confess our sins, don't we find that there at the cross as we confess our sins and our shortcomings, the glorious sufficiency of Jesus pours forth streams of love and affection into our hearts so that as we find his grace is sufficient for us, we are stirred to love him more and more. This is exactly what Jesus was getting at in Luke chapter 7. If, if we had time, we could read the whole story. I'll set it up for you this way. There's a religious leader, a Pharisee, and there is a sinful woman, a woman who was a sinner. And the religious person decides to have Jesus over. I don't know why. He wasn't very impressed with Jesus. He didn't want to offer him anything good. Maybe it was just for appearance sake. But the religious leader, his name was Simon, and he was sitting there and he watched as this sinful woman comes and begins touching Jesus. She's washing his feet and wiping his feet with with her hair. And he says, what's wrong with this woman, this sinner? And Jesus remarks to Simon, Who loves more, the one who's forgiven more or the one who's forgiven less? 
She loves much because she was forgiven much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. What's the difference between Simon, the Pharisee, and that woman? Is it the number of sins that they had committed? Is it the evil of the sins that they had committed? I would argue that if anything, the sin that God hates the most is pride, particularly when it is clothed in religious garments. So I actually think one of them was a bigger sinner at the table, but I don't think it was who Simon thought it was. So why is it that Jesus commends the woman because of her love, because she confessed her sins, she knew what they were. She confessed them. And as she confessed them, she realized the greatness of what she'd been forgiven. And as she realized what she'd been forgiven, she loved much. So as we confess our sins, we grow in love for God. So let me just ask you, pause for a minute and ask you as we think about that, if you on a scale of one to 10 had to rate your love for God, Today, as you come to worship, where are you? Where's your love for God? If you want your love for God to grow, we need confession of sins. Confession of sins causes our love for God to grow. Confession of sins also stirs us to love one another. Here's Augustine again, because Augustine, remember, as he's writing his confessions, he's writing them as a prayer, so he is talking to God, but he's also writing them in a book so that lots of other people will hear these confessions. And so he also writes about, well, why would I take the time to confess in the hearing of other people? And so he writes this. But when others read of these past sins of mine or hear about them, their hearts are stirred so that they no longer lie listless in despair, crying, I cannot. Instead, their hearts are roused by the love of your mercy and the joy of your grace by which each one of us, weak though he be, is made strong. Since by it he is made conscious of his own weakness. And the good are glad to hear of the past sins of others who are now free of them. They're glad, not because those sins are evil, but because what was evil is now evil no more. You know that experience where a brother or sister shares their sins with you. They confess, they repent, they receive forgiveness, and then there's joy. Don't you find in that moment your heart being knit to theirs as they drink of the same well of God's rich mercy and forgiveness of sins? Can I offer a word of warning? In Luke chapter 15, something strange happens. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. It is entirely possible that as you watch sinners who commit these sins that you don't like, you disdain and you watch these sinners commit these sins and then come back to Jesus and act happy about their forgiveness that they have, that something in your heart might not actually be knit to theirs, that your affection might not be stirred for them. But let me warn you, in that moment, your heart is responding like the Pharisees and the religious leaders, not like our heavenly father. Jesus says, here's the right response of the heart. When a sinner repents, no matter how much of a sinner they are in your eyes, when they repent and receive forgiveness, Jesus tells us this in Luke 15, verse 3. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance the heart of our father is to rejoice a confession of sins and forgiveness granted 
And we as a church, as we confess our sins to one another, must respond likewise with joy, with rejoicing, and with celebration as your brothers and sisters confess their sins to you and we go together to the cross and to the empty tomb and on the path of restoration and repentance. So maybe you're saying, okay, all of this sounds fine, Sounds good. I would like to do this. I see the benefits and growing in love and all these things, but I still don't know what it looks like. What am I supposed to do? Can I offer a couple suggestions really practically? Here's one. Um, just, just plan to do it. Um, it's not profound. You, you can even say to someone, go to a brother or sister who you trust, who you know in the church, and just say, I don't know how to confess my sins. I don't know what that looks like, but could we try? And then just start talking. If you don't know, man, what, what are sins? Like, what does it mean to confess my sins? Maybe do something like this. Go to Galatians 5 or Colossians 3 or any number of places in the New Testament where there are sins that are listed and just read through them and see if there are any of those that you can own. And then just use those words and say, yeah, I think I have been jealous. I, I think I have envied. I think I have gossiped. And, and just use the words that scripture gives you and Try speaking these things out loud to one another and then praying with one another that you may be forgiven. Confession of sin in a local church, if it is done properly, if it is done well, if forgiveness of sins is rejoiced in, will increase our love Stir our hearts, we'll have all kinds of untold health benefits. Wonder how much confession you have in your spiritual diet. How are you planning to get more? Because, friends, here's the thing I know enough of your church, I know enough about your church to know that this is a place where this can and should happen. I know your pastors. I know your leaders. I know many of you who are members here. I know this is a place that loves the gospel and rejoices in the forgiveness of sins. Friends, if you are not confessing, you have no excuse. You're here today. Your brothers or sisters are here today. You have a calendar for a week ahead of you full of all kinds of opportunities to call someone and get together and say, let's talk. If we are going to be, if you are going to be a healthy church, we need to ask for grace to be doers of this word and not hearers only. But those who seek to include confession of sins to one another in our spiritual diet. May the Lord give us grace to do this. Let's pray together. Father God, we rejoice that in your goodness, in your kindness, you have given to us brothers and sisters, you've given to us pastors, you've given to us friends who love us and love the gospel. We pray that you would give us grace to not hide in our sin and not be content with hardness or coldness of heart. Give us grace to respond to this word and confess our sins and bring these things out into the light that there may be healing in our midst. And that our love would increase. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.